Hello, good morning. Good morning. Well, welcome to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. I'm Rob. And we have a special guest at the table. We do. Melanie. Hello. How are you? I'm well. I feel so honored. Well, you should. <laughs> I mean, we are very important people in We're, our own mind. I was just going to add that. Well, we are, we're here at the table. We're having another mindful conversation. Thanks, Melanie, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We, we look for willing volunteers to, <laughs> to come here. And this is her first time speaking into a microphone. It is. Yes. Although she has shared that she wished she would have brought her guitar. Yes. That's next time. And so next time you're on the program, we're going to incorporate some music, which I think is a fantastic idea. Oh, yeah. Music is great. Music therapy. Yes. Oh, for sure. I'm all about music therapy. I well, am, too. We were listening to the Beatles before yeah. we started recording. Yeah. And also, Melanie is like a professional snowboarder. Not quite professional. <laughs> In our minds, I think you're pretty special. <laughs> I make it down the hill. Yeah. What is, like, the coolest thing about snowboarding for you? Great question. Um... Well, I love that it's exercise. So you're doing something while you're gaining exercise. Um, I just love the momentum. Mm -hmm. um, you know, doing a few jumps. I don't do tricks. Jumps? Just nice. Like getting air? Like, like do you like, grab your board like when no, you're No, like a foot of air. A foot. Got a it. A foot. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, it's fun. Like, I don't want to break myself, though. Do not do that. Yeah. You're needed here. Melanie is one of our interns here at the Response Care Center. Definitely. And, um... Dr. Rob, what's one of your favorite hobbies? I know you're a jeeper. I am. I like to off-road. I did try snowboarding one don't, time, but don't I do, don't don't do that. I don't I don't think it was designed to go down on my face. <laughs> no. But that's, I did make it down to the bottom. That's the importance of taking a lesson, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Men don't need lessons. It's like we don't need direction. <laughs> directions, right. We just find our way. But I I think hobbies are great for sound mental health you oh, know the sure. off-roading the hiking the kayaking um with melanie i like the things that are active yeah. and physical for sure yeah you know i had covid what four weeks ago or something and i used the excuse as we started the podcast i had a couple takes because i called it covid brain moments right i'm still using that i can use that up to like six weeks. Six weeks, is it? Or I is it six so. months? Maybe six months. I, I would mean, take six months. You likened it to pregnancy brain. Yeah. Yeah. For those uh, those listening who've been pregnant, you know what we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I'll give myself permission. So, hobbies. I'm into a new hobby now. Yes, I'm, you are. I'm getting into a new hobby. RC monster trucks. Monster nice. trucks. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, I have a long history of, like, racing, like, gaming. Yeah. On T, you know, like a gaming program and then um you know i would love to get like a like a stock car a friend of mine tim and um, maybe work on it and go to like galesburg speedway or something that would be like fantastic but i'll start off with like this little monster truck how about the martin speedway martin speedway for sure anywhere doesn't matter they, i need to go like on amateur night yes Okay, we're way off topic because... I was going to say, what are what is our to topic? Believe it or not, the topic to, for today's episode is not hobbies. It's not hobbies. <laughs> it is parenting. <laughs> or families. families. It's families. Family families. systems. Family systems. But I think it's important because hobbies do, um, do get involved in families. And, you know, it's important, like you said, in the middle of winter to have a hobby. 
to stay mentally sound. And families can do hobbies together. Our family is an off-road family. We do that as a family. Yeah, and my family's a snowboard family. See? Sweet. Okay, hold on. What's my family? We like food. <laughs> <laughs> We're a food family. <laughs> that could be a seasonal ho- uh, hobby as well, right? <laughs> right. We do like going out to eat, and we, we like discovering f- food. You know, it's just part of our, it's part of our hobby. That's you know, my, great. my wife and I love to hike. That's one of our things. Hike, yes. adventure. Uh, we love doing that. But yeah, in today's episode, uh, this conversation is going to center around the concept of family. And the good news is all of us grew up in a family. Yes. That's true. You know, but the shapes, the sizes, the structure, the experiences. Wow. The list goes on and on and on. We could have so many different experiences regarding family and the functionality can be healthy or unhealthy yep yep it's 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 a crazy world we live in and growing up in family is is just one part of that crazy experience on planet earth right so as a practitioner you're working with families what are you seeing you know i think what's really interesting is that everybody no matter how great or how bad you see your family, everybody's has a mountain. Some people can say your mountain looks like an anthill, but like everybody has this mountain to climb. Everybody has these uh, obstacles in their path. And so everybody comes in and their obstacle is big for them. And so it's to take them where they're at and to understand like their system. And since we're talking about family systems, like I have clients that are either the children, they could be teenagers, they could be young adults, they could be even in their 60s. Um, but they all, at some point, their their problem or their initiating thing that they're coming to me with is resulting from some family dynamic, whether it's a relationship with a friend or a boyfriend or it could be their children or it could be their parents. Like, there's always, like, a whole family dynamic that plays into it. Ooh, family dynamics. Let's talk about that. What are some family dynamics that are at least common to most families? Uh, family roles would be one that mm-hmm. I think of, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether they're spoken or unspoken, we all have a position in the family. And give, give me an example. Like, I, obviously, we have mom, dad. Sometimes we have single yeah. homes. So mom yeah. and or dad or. Or aunt and uncle aunt, or grandparents. Uh, grandparent, yeah. And we have foster it, families. We have adoptive families. And blended families. That's exactly right. And in um, substance abuse families, a role could be like a scapegoat or a hero or a family mascot. It just depends on the constellation of the family and the health yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ultimately, as as a as a person maybe listens to this episode and it brings up their own thoughts about their family, whether that's family of origin, <clears throat> the family that they grew up in, or whether it's the family they're currently in. Like I, I've currently, my family system is I have a wife and a golden retriever. Everybody knows Odin. Yes. He's currently over in Saginaw. He's a star. He's at our breeder's place for the whole week. We're heartbroken because we didn't wake up to Odin. I I'm seriously you were gonna heartbroken. Do, I know. I wondered how you were going to do with he's that. He's spending a week at camp and he's going to be in his first dog show this coming Saturday and Sunday. Wow, so you're experiencing empty nester syndrome again. For sure. <laughs> like, I just missed his little 
his little face this morning. But, uh, but my daughters both live out of town. They're adults. They're living their own life. And I'm experiencing the changes that are happening. But I have a long history, both of my family growing up, um, my two girls, my, I mean, all the things that have happened and have shaped a lot of who I am or who they are. And then, of course, how I was shaped in, in my family of, you know, my mom, dad, my, my two younger sisters that I grew up with, and then my older sister and brother, you know, that were 10 years ahead of us, you know, lots of story in that family of origin, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't everybody have a story? For sure. I think it's important because when you, when you were talking, I was thinking we we're talking about family roles, birth order. You know, I'm the oldest in my family. And my immediate family, our, our kids are growing. They're on their own. Um, we're now grandparents, which is really cool. And like, like you mentioned, Matt, there's a lot of storylines that are past, you know, family, family folklore, if you will, where the family defines itself and its identity around previous generations. So when we're talking about family, we're also talking about a historical context. Or like you mentioned, Melanie, I was thinking when you were talking, kind of reminded me of a fish in water. You know, we're, Matt opened up with, we're all part of a family. Our families are influencing us pretty much all the time, whether we recognize it or not. Right, and I also love how, like, our families all work together. So I envision, like, a bicycle, and we each have different parts, and we each have different roles. So if you take your bike to go get it tuned up, and let's say in the family system I just have one part of the family that I'm working with, um, we can tune up those brakes really well, right? So they're really functional brakes, but sometimes you can't influence the other parts of it. So by bringing in the whole family system into counseling, it's kind of like, hey, we have, like, our brakes tuned up, our chain is oiled, we got a new seat. Um, this bike is polished. It is like ready to roll. Mm-hmm. But what's missing is it doesn't have pedals. So it makes a really great push bike. But without all the different systems working together, you don't have a fully functioning family the best that it could be. But understanding real life, we don't always have every part that's going to you know, be influenced into the family systems. Not everybody's going to want to participate. And so how can we make this bicycle the best bicycle that we can have mm-hmm. that is a principle in family systems holism where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts but your point is each part is really important mm-hmm. because without the part functioning in the way it's designed to the bike the bike doesn't get utilized for its purpose right and i mean you can still throw a basket on the bike and use it to haul stuff and you're you know you're it's still a push bike but you're not going to go as fast or so as the, far, yeah. Right, yep, and the momentum isn't there. It still has function. It still has function, for sure, but it's not u- being fully utilized. So, crazy analogy, but I think of my golf game. and I'm Do we really want to go there? I'm, I'm self-taught. <laughs> I'm a horrible golfer. Not a horrible, I mean, I'm not good. I have fun. I feel like the more strokes, the better the game. <laughs> But I'm self-taught, and I've never had a lesson. And so, therefore, my game is a reflection of just trial and error. And I think a lot of families are like trial and error. The outcome of their their family life is they never, they never really get help. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most complex system on earth is marriage and family. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And, and yet we never really get a lot of help and we just like a golf, you know, just learning how to play. You just learn as you go. That sounds crazy. I mean, I'm lucky to shoot under 90, you know, usually it's around a hundred, you know, usually par 72. So the reality is I'm alive. I'm playing well enough to go back, but I'm not thriving. Right. And family systems could learn how to function in a different way. And I think all of us are in this boat. Yeah. And there's like a big learning curve with it too, because I'll use the example with some clients about building a house if you're given a stick and a rock, you're going to kind of figure out how to put a nail and you're going to use that rock and pound it in. It's not going to be the most functional looking house or the best looking house, but um, it's going to work. It's going to be shelter. But now you're introducing new tools. You give them a hammer, you give them a saw. And at first it's hard to, um, I guess, accept that what I did before wasn't the best, but it really was their best. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge that, no, you did the best with the tools that you had and to really affirm that in the situation that you are in, you utilized all the tools that you have. But now we're introducing new tools and there's going to be a whole new learning curve. Because, Matt, like you've perfected your stroke probably imperfectedly. Yeah, and I don't so, know if it's been perfected. It's a stroke. Right. So <laughs> now if you actually have training, you're going to have to relearn yeah. how to hold it. What's your body posture like? It's going to be a whole learning curve. So you're almost going to feel like you're falling backwards yeah. and you're going to be worse until you get better. And so it's that part of counseling where bringing in the family systems or even individually that sometimes you leave feeling almost worse than you started because you're bringing up old stuff. You're learning new techniques and you haven't perfected them yet. Mm -hmm. But eventually, to your point, you can build a better, more versatile home. Right. I do think, it, I do think to your point, it, it frequently gets worse before it gets better. I don't know that counseling is supposed to be a comfortable experience i think it's supposed to be a transformational experience yeah i love that word transformational mm -hmm. yeah yeah pain you've also you've often said dr rob that we get we get wounded in relationship and we get healed in relationship mm -hmm. and i think family is a critical piece because the number one contributor to our identity is family of origin did you just say the number one contributor to identity yep is family of origin. Yeah. That's huge. I think so. I think I think the burden of proof would be on individuals who do not believe that. Because you think about you think about I sometimes remember this story. I had a, a popular uncle who died and we were living out of state and we came home for the funeral and it was a larger funeral in a small funeral home. So there was probably hundred and fifty or two hundred people in that all packed in there we're just like sardines and a woman comes up to me and she asked me if I was the son of my my parents and I said yes and then in that room she proceeded to point out my two sisters and my brother to me and it dawned on her I didn't know who I was talking to turns out that she was when my parents were alive one of their best friends and she was able to identify the four of us based on our mannerisms because she knew our parents so well. That's mm -hmm. amazing. It was freaky. But that was that's just one illustration of the the profound gravitational pull of family.
it, it was, and I, I, I didn't know who she was. When she introduced herself, I recognized the name. Mm-hmm. It's it, the reality is our family of origin has shaped us. Definitely. My dad has been passed away since 1995. And every time I look in the mirror, I see my dad or I see a photo. Yeah. I see my dad And there is, it's bittersweet because I've had enough experiences in, in a negative sense growing up that that still is a filter that I can see him and myself through. I still do work on this. Yeah, I do too. And I like Melanie's point where exposing your family to uh, an outside um, therapist or a marriage and family uh, practitioner, that does make a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, it would make a difference if I was going to pick up snowboarding to have somebody train me in snowboarding or if I was going to do golf or, you know, um, take lessons on, on my base. I mean, mm-hmm. the, that is proven to be a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's so difficult for us to recognize that family is the same way. And I think what's beautiful about um, just our culture right now is that they're sort of embracing this, that, you know, before it was okay to take a snowboard lesson or a golf lesson, but now it's also okay to take a mental health lesson. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, much more much more culturally acceptable because of the crisis that we're in with COVID. Yeah, it really has forced, COVID has forced our hands in terms of seeking support and help, and it has exposed many of the shortcomings of our culture as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, you're working with what age group specifically? Yeah, so I actually have clients that range from 11 to 65. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So within that, some of them are individuals, some of them are couples, some of them are families. Mm-hmm. And so it's in a wide variety of um, reasons that they're here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Murray, uh, Murray Bowen. Yes. So a, a classic theorist on family systems theory. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that I think about a lot. And the concept that he brought um, with his work is the concept of differentiation. Yes. And which is something that is so important to me because I spend so much of my time helping people to reframe the way they see themselves because I believe that is always the way someone's going to behave. It's like the what, what you see in yourself, what you believe about yourself is going to dramatically affect the way you live your life. And one of the things that I don't think we do well in family structures is appreciate the differences that we have amongst family members. Yeah. It's more common to be intimidated by the differences of one of the members of the system and try to control that. And it's so much easier to control a young, naive, innocent member of the family like a child and, and shape that child over time mm-hmm. and not appreciate who they are from a differentiation perspective. So let me just offer this. So differentiation... Um, is the ability to hold on to who you are and what you are not. It's the degree to which you're able to affirm your distinct values and goals apart from the pressures around you. That's being separate, Mm -hmm. while at the same time remaining close to the people important to you. That's togetherness. And this helps to determine your level of differentiation. 
Yeah, I'd like to throw in there also transformation because mm-hmm. these roles are going to continue to transform. Like you mentioned, you have this young, naive person in the family as the child that's going to become an adolescent, that's going to become a teenager, that's going to become a young adult. Um, roles change, then they become, you know, unequal with their parents. And then at some point they're going to become the caregivers for their parents. Throughout lifespan, here's what I hear the two of you saying. The differentiation, that's a balance between the I and the we. Mm-hmm. And that has to be both, uh, it's two sides of the same coin, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. And then to your point, there's going to be an evolutionary process throughout lifespan where the power differential will change. When my kids were young, I was in control. When they became adolescents, I didn't have the same type of control. I needed to have a more cooperative or collaborative relationship with them. Now as an adult, they're on the same power structure or level as I am. And as I age, there's a possibility that the role reversal could occur where they're now taking care of me. Yeah. I'm already setting myself up for that. So I have one child that I'm teaching to cook really well. Another <laughs> child I'm learning to, you know, clean uh-huh. really well. Like they all know who's going to help take care of mom. That is awesome. That's proactive. That's brilliant. Very proactive. I think my daughter's got a decent job now. She, she could progress and support us in retirement. Nice. I like that. So what about the idea of these, these you know, um, elementary age kids growing into adolescence, growing in through those teenage years where they are becoming different. Their, their developmental, um, you know, stages of growth are happening. What happens when they start to form their own beliefs, right? The frontal cortex is coming online. They're be, they're able to reason more, um, but their convictions, their directions, their goals, their values, apart from the pressures of the family system or the the, the places, their churches, whatever the influences are, they're growing into a, a unique person. What do we do with that when we're not healthy, when we're not mature, Dr. Rob? If I understand your question, you're saying that what do we do when the kids and the family isn't healthy and, and how they're forming identity? Well, there, yeah, there could be an unhealthy and healthy version of that. The reality is these kids are growing. It's happening to them. Yes. This is not something that they're doing. They're forming by the culture around them. What do we do as, you know, whether the, it's a parental figure, a guardian, a, a grandparent, an aunt, uncle, a foster parent, these kids are growing into something, and I'm the one that's stewarding the process. I think that calls for collaboration and awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, too many parents try to protect their kids from what they perceive as dangerous or questionable activities or behaviors or people or individuals. When the reality to me is that you partner with your kids and you equip them, you give them the tools that they need to function in a culture like ours. And that, to me, if I understand your question, is what um, healthy parents do. They collaborate. When the parents aren't healthy, unfortunately, then that responsibility falls onto the child or the teen. Right. And they have to be smarter, if you will, than the parents. 
We're not responsible for what happened to us in childhood. We are responsible for how we manage it as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, and even to follow up with that whole idea of collaboration, for me, like, in all the different cases that I've had, I found that communication is number one. So whether you have collaboration or you don't, it's still learning to communicate with the people, whether they're willing to be a part of that conversation or not. Like, what's the best way? Like you had mentioned, if you're a youth or a teenager, how do you speak to your parents so that they can hear you and they respond well to you because you can't change your parents? But then if the parents are on board, um, how do they communicate to each other so that they're both being respected and heard? Mm -hmm. That point is communication is to a relationship what blood is to the body. Yeah, Norman, right? And I think you're right. I, I think communication is the vehicle of collaboration. If, 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 to Melanie's point, listening, the aspect of listening and communication is by far the most difficult. And, and in our culture, we don't do it very well or appear to do yeah, it like very well. If I'm, if I'm highly differentiated in a healthy sense, yeah, right, I can be in a place where we may not agree together, mm -hmm. um, but yet I can remain in a relationship with you. Oh, totally. I don't have to detach from you. I don't have to reject you, avoid you, or criticize you to validate myself. I can be myself apart from you. That's being alone together, Parker Palmer. I can be alone, have my own unique differentiation, and look for you to appreciate the things that are different about me that maybe are not true for you, but yet we can stay in a relationship. But because you've communicated well, you've listened well, you've sought to understand me, and there's some validation while you're holding on to your own identity. We can live together. That to me is called maturity. Yeah. When you have the maturity, you communicate well, you listen, you can differentiate that, that there's a lot of really cool dynamics that are brought to us by maturity. Yeah. And then when you have more of the like immature, the other end, you have uh, like translation problems and that's really what it comes down to. Somebody says something, you hear it in a different way, in a different way that they didn't intend it, and you're not mature enough to say, hey, what exactly did you mean by this because this is what I heard? And so they now are responding in a negative way to what they thought they heard. Mm -hmm. And frequently that's taking it personal yeah. within the context of a family. So Melanie says, I don't like your shirt. I hear, oh, you don't like me? Now we're now we're poised to go to war, so to speak. When she, it's okay for her not to like the color green or whatever color shirt. It, it, it you know, that's the differentiation. I am able to hear what she really means as opposed to interpreting it through an unhealthy or dysfunctional filter. Yeah, and I, I think here's a, this maturity thread weaves through almost everything that we talk about. For me, it does. Right, I mean... Yeah. The reality is that's that's the human condition. And sometimes my role then is to bring to light that dysfunctional filter. Like, have you thought that this is the filter that you're viewing your life through? So what if we view it through a different filter, a mm -hmm. different lens? And then that just starts opening up like, you know, their mind is blown. Of, oh, wow. Yeah, this could be different. She actually wasn't telling me that right. I'm a horrible person or I'm ugly. She just doesn't like the color green. Right. Yeah, and and we're not in the business of finding people guilty, right? You know, finding people wrong. We're here to enlighten um, 
ourselves and others to the reality of what is true. Instead of saying it's right or wrong, it's just the reality is it's true. You're not to blame for being immature. You are responsible for your maturity, and there's opportunity for you to be able to address those things in order to gain greater function. But we live in a shame-based economy of relating yeah. to self and others. Like, you're wrong. You hurt me. You, you'll, you'll always be like this. You'll never amount to anything, right? Labels. But the reality is we're all broken. Oh, totally. And we all need help, and we all need a safe place to be able to realize what dysfunction, how did it become a dysfunction, what's the possibility for me, to Melanie's point, so I can grow more mature and then pass on more of a generational tendency of maturity versus immaturity. It makes good sense, to your point. If I'm going to do snowboarding, that I connect with Melanie and have her give me some lessons or I can ride down the hill on your face. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And you know, that wasn't comfortable. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, that brings in grace as well, right? Because you didn't know how to snowboard because you didn't have the lesson. So I can't hold you accountable to that. I can't tell you you're a bad snowboarder because based on the skills that you have, you were doing the best that you could do. But now that you're enlightened, you're like, oh, here's an instructor. She can teach me. Um, I'm going to now use these tools. So it's just like there's this grace that you give to yourself and to others as our eyes are open to the new processes and new things that in new ways we could do things. And I do think what we're talking about, family is one of God's coolest ideas. For sure. You know, dysfunctional can do a lot of damage, but when families are healthy, it, it, it provides a resource to really have the support to deal with whatever life may throw at me. Mm-hmm. I remember when my daughter, Kaylin, was approximately in eighth grade, and we were driving out to Crystal Farms where we rode horses. The girls grew up riding horses and we were driving out there and she was in that awkward stage of detachment from dad and mom. She was getting quiet. So we're driving and there was this awkward quietness and it was bugging <laughs> the heck out of me. And I was upset, but I somehow regained my integrity and I just said, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want to lose you. Right. And then she walked into, she didn't say a word. She walked into the bar and rode her horse, which probably made her get get away from creepy dad, (laughs) go ride my horse. And then I really felt like God spoke to me and said, buddy, you need to either, you know, celebrate what I'm doing in her. I'll give you a front row seat or you can try to control this and be in anguish. It's your choice. I'm not kidding. That's literally this conversation on that driveway at that farm. And I said, I want a front row seat. He says, well, sit down then. Yeah. And, and I will always give you a, a, a front row seat to what I'm doing in her life. And that literally changed everything about how I related. It still was difficult, but I took the reins, the horse reins, right out of my hands, put it in God's and said, you created her. You, I'm going to just sit back and watch what, what great things you do. And it's been a fun ride ever since. Yeah. It's been a better ride, right? Uh, yeah. Because if you hadn't done that and you insisted on micromanaging her, that's a lose lose proposition. So, why do we tend to want to control? We're talking about parenting, you know, 
having authority, why do we as humans tend to want to control things? Like well, I children. Think Rob mentioned it's fear-based sometimes because you're afraid that the world is going to take them in a different direction. And it can also come from an element of sadness because you're losing your role as being a parent. This mm-hmm. is what I've now known for the last you know, 15 years, and now I'm not going to be a parent anymore. So what does that look like for me? Who am I? Right. How do I transition into being their friend and to sit back and just watch them on this journey of life? Yeah, And it's really interesting. Listen to how we talk. We're losing our role as parenting. We're changing our role as parenting, changing, to yes. your point. But there's it, a grieving process, and it to is. allow yep. that grief and accept it and walk through it. And I think you're right. I think fear is an answer to your question. I think we try to conform people into our image because we think it's best for them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and control becomes a big factor because mm-hmm. when I'm in control, I have the illusion that I'm safe. Right. You know, and raising kids is to this point of the conversation you made it. It's not in both of you acknowledge it's not an easy phenomenon. Parenting is difficult, just like marriage is work and difficult. We have this illusion in our culture that somehow all of the stuff that we're talking about is supposed to be easy. It's not easy learning how to snowboard or to golf. Right. But it's worth the investment. It sure is. Well, it's 33 minutes after the hour. (laughs) It's time to bring our our plane landed on the the runway. But um, what I'd like to offer is, is some final thoughts. And I'm just, you know, kudos to all the parents out there or parent, the model of, of caring for children, what have you, grandparent, aunt, uncle, foster care, parent, um, blended family, step parents. Wow. All of you crazy cool that you're in the game. Yep. Stay in the game. Keep learning find resources. So what are you guys thinking as a, as a last thought? My last thought would be if the family isn't working, get a coach, get a trainer, an instructor, talk to somebody who can help make the family healthier. I agree. And then to leave guilt behind because you shouldn't feel guilty in this. This is, this is a great thing that you're seeking help and not to identify one person as the problem, but to see how, all together, just like that bicycle, we all need to work functionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I think we've had a good podcast. I don't feel shame about who I am as a parent. Or a golfer. Or a golfer. <laughs> There's probably other categories in my life I can, I can dwell on. <laughs> I did dwell on the fact that I ate too much last week, so I'm, I'm, I'm back on the bandwagon. But that is week. your hobby. <laughs> it is. It's a hard hobby. I work hard at it. Melanie, it's been a great joy having you. We Thanks hope for to having s- me. We Thank hope, you. Hope to see you back here. And Dr. Rob, I always get to see you, so that's a blessing to me. Likewise. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in to Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. We hope that you have a great day wherever that may lead you. Blessings. <laughs>